G'day, and welcome to another episode of Stick Together, bringing you union news, worker stories, and discussion on social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and broadcast nationally to the Community Radio Network. I'm Matt Conkle. This week on the show, in addition to your weekly wrap of union news, we'll hear about how a mental health agency is using the National Disability Insurance Scheme as a smokescreen to try and terminate their enterprise agreement and cut workers' conditions. We'll also head to Brisbane, where several unions are in an escalating industrial battle with the council. Tom Brown from the Queensland Rail, Tram and Bus Union will join us and talk about the rolling strikes and industrial action being taken by the bus drivers. But first, some union news. The bitter pay dispute between Cricket Australia and the nation's elite cricketers was resolved last week. Cricket Australia and the Players' Union reached an in-principle deal for a new memorandum of understanding. For the first time, all of Australia's elite cricketers, both men and women, will be covered by the one agreement. The Players' Union has secured a stunning victory, retaining its key claim for a revenue-sharing model. The deal has also been heralded as a huge victory for Australia's women cricketers, with the agreement including what has been described as the largest pay increases for women's sport. While men's minimum contracts will rise at approximately 3% per annum, the Australian women's team minimums will increase by more than 80% in the first year, and more than doubling over the five-year agreement. Even larger increases have been applied to women players at the state level. The new MOU also includes injury payments and a new retirement fund for the game's elite women. Yet despite the increase in player payments to women from $7 million to $55 million, women players at the international, state and big bash levels will still earn far less than their male counterparts. However, this is now the second consecutive MOU where the male players have prioritised boosting the proportion of the game's revenue that is directed to the elite women. The deal comes after a protracted struggle which led to 230 of Australia's elite cricketers falling out of contract and becoming effectively unemployed. The players' refusal to be divided and placed on individual contracts led to the cancellation of an international tour to South Africa and had cast a shadow over the upcoming tour to Bangladesh and even the 2017 Ashes. The agreement must still be voted on by the cricketers before coming into place. Last Thursday, around 200 trade unionists rallied out the front of multinational petrochemical company Esso on the banks of Melbourne's Yarra River, protesting the company's move to outsource its workforce, seeking to cut wage costs by about 35%. In a cheeky act of defiance, the protest was joined by Scabby the Rat, the nine-foot-high inflatable rat that was banned from the Longford protest line by court orders last week. Scabby and his good friend and comrade Greedy the Fat Cat, another large inflatable, visited the protest by boat, taunting the multinational from atop the Yarra River. Unions allege that Esso and UGL have conspired to create an enterprise agreement voted on by a small and unrepresentative group of employees that has a wide national coverage. This action mirrors that of Carlton United Breweries in the large dispute last year. Hundreds of workers are now fighting for their livelihoods and their community. The jobs are based in regional Victoria, where they provide not just for the workers and their families, but prop up local business in the area. The company is now looking to find fly-in, fly-out workers, further stripping money out of the local community. Here's one of the workers at the rally talking about how the company's greed is affecting him and his family. When I had my seven-year-old son come to me and say, Dad, why is the boss... Why is your boss trying to take money from us? You know, how do you answer that? What, what, what's, a, what's a fair uh, thing to say to that, my, my son, other than greed? When, they've, when, when UGL, the company we work for, used our statistics, they used our safety record, they used our skills 
to win another five-year contract and then turn around and offer us a shonky deal that'll see us spending more time offshore, less time with our families and less money in the bank. What makes it even worse when my four-year-old overheard what we were saying, ran to his bedroom, went and got his money bank, tipped it on the table and said, here, Dad, here's all the money you need. Now, if a four-year-old can do that, what, why, why, how do we get grown, mature adults that can't even see it when a four-year-old can see that? And how do we answer them? And those kids... That's the reason why I'm here today. I want to stick up for them and the wives that are sacrificing their time. They're sacrificing their time with their, hus with their husbands, with their um, fathers that are putting their life on, on the line in this industry when they're not even there trying to maintain the very platforms that we're working on. The Turnbull government announced a $10 million handout to the Australian Hotels Association last week. The AHA is the bosses union that represents employers in the hotels and hospitality sector. The $10 million handout is part of a further rollout of the Liberal Party's PATH internship program. Under the program, the government will pay hotels and pubs $1,000 a go to take on interns who in turn will earn $4 an hour without any workplace protections superannuation or leave entitlements. This effectively represents months of unpaid labour for the bosses. It was not long ago that the Liberals were crowing about how many new jobs would be created by the cuts to weekend and night penalty rates in the hospitality sector. But this new handout begs the question, why would any employer create any new jobs with award entitlements when they can be paid to host these interns for free without any requirement to provide an ongoing job? This will undoubtedly further entrench the inequality amongst the youngest generations of workers coming into the workforce and put further downward pressure on hospitality wages. But it's not a bad return on investment for the AHA, who donate hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to the Liberal and National parties. ACT Chief Minister Andrew Barr has signalled his government's intention to introduce a new local jobs code. This local jobs code would be designed to protect workers' safety and ensure fair paying conditions on public projects. The code would reflect a deal struck between the government and ACT unions, which would allow the peak union body to monitor and provide guidance to the government and ensure only companies with good employment practices benefit from public contracts. The move comes after the ACT has seen two of its security contractors reported to the Fair Work Ombudsman for alleged wage theft and had another of its cleaning contractors found to have taken advantage of migrant workers, forcing them into agreements that they did not understand and that stripped them of their workplace conditions. The move has been met positively by ACT Union Secretary Alex White, who said, Although the ACT government has limited power over workplace rights, one thing they can do is ensure that no ratepayers' funds go towards law-breaking companies that commit wage theft. He went on to say this would benefit workers, ratepayers, and ensure that local businesses who do the right thing don't compete with dodgy companies. There's been some promising news out of Indonesia related to one of our feature stories last month regarding the global struggle against stevedoring multinational ICTSI. Dock workers from Jakarta, members of the FBTPI, have been holding a series of rolling demonstrations outside the company's Indonesian headquarters. The pressure has brought the company back to the negotiating table where the union is fighting for a living wage and reinstatement of workers who are outsourcing contravention of Indonesian labour laws. In other news out of the port of Jakarta, 
dock workers are engaged in a week of strike action against Hutchinson and the extension of their lease on the port, saying that it is both a smokescreen to attack workers' rights and that it deprives the local government of revenue. In a video posted on Facebook, members of the SPJICT declared their strike action was in defence of both workers' rights and the country's best interests. The members of the FBPTI have joined the actions in solidarity while continuing to press their claims against their employer. You can find out more at the International Transport Federation's Facebook page. Just search ITF Asia Pacific. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. It seems like these days, if bosses aren't busy making dodgy deals to circumvent the power of union workers, they're running off to the Commission to terminate agreements, seeking to wipe away conditions hard fought and won by decades of struggle with just a stroke of a pen. Many of these agreement termination disputes have been clustered around industries and employers with a long history of union bargaining, where wages and conditions are significantly higher than the minimums in the award. In a startling new development, a small mental health care agency on the Mornington Peninsula, which is to the south of Melbourne, is seeking to terminate its enterprise agreement, blaming the introduction of the National Disability Insurance Scheme, saying that once it's introduced in the area, it can no longer be competitive. Unlike the other high-profile termination cases, the workers at this agency, Mentis, are earning minimum wage. If successful, this case could lead to a further flood of employers seeking to hit the reset button, causing widespread cuts to wages and conditions across many different sectors. To learn more about the case, here's the ASU Victorian Tasmanian branch coordinator, Leon Weirgard. Mentis Assist is a, a psychosocial um, mental health provider based down in Mornington, but they provide services across the Mornington Peninsula in Victoria. And uh, we were successful in bargaining an enterprise agreement there uh, in 2011. Um, that agreement expired a couple of years ago, and Mentis are now seeking to terminate that agreement, stating that the NDIS, which is... Um, due to roll into to their geographic area in April next year uh, means that they can't afford to continue with the enterprise agreement. But Leon, we've seen a number of agreements terminated uh, sort of increasingly in the last 12 months or so. These have been large companies where the EBA rates have been well in excess of the awards and conditions have been well fought over decades of um, of struggle. Is that the situation at Mentis? Uh, absolutely not. This is, um, this is a not-for-profit community sector agency basically and the people who work there um, are paid relatively little money in fact so poor are their wages uh, that back in 2012 the um, the federal workplace commission um, handed down a world first equal remuneration order um, because it was found that because it was such a highly feminized sector that wages across the board had been suppressed so um, so so poor are their wages that there's actually had to be a, uh, a federal uh, uh, workplace intervention to boost their wages over time. So if these workers are on the minimum wage, effectively... Which they are. How can the company say that they can't afford to continue with the enterprise agreement? So what they've said is that it's the conditions that sit within the enterprise agreement that make it impossible for them to provide services under the NDIS. Now, just bearing in mind that the NDIS hasn't actually doesn't actually apply in that area of Victoria at the moment. So again, it doesn't it doesn't roll until April next year. Uh, so they're saying that things like um, having a span of hours Monday through Friday rather than Monday through Sunday, having paid parental leave. Small, relatively small conditions such as that, they claim, um, is the reason why they um, 
they they need to terminate the agreement. In the other instances where agreements have been terminated, it's been after a long and protracted case of negotiations, whether in good faith or sham or some way the company has said, we can't make a bargain, you need to terminate it. Is that the case with Mentors? Have you been bargaining with them? No. Uh, no, we haven't. They uh, they wrote to us and said, um, as, they're, as they're required to do under the Act, to say that they wanted to terminate the agreement. Um, we immediately wrote to them and met with them on a couple of occasions and requested that they sit down in good faith and bargain for a new enterprise agreement. Um, they, one of the, um, uh, it was stated by somebody there that um, they would agree to that so long as we agree to their conditions. That's not Wait. the way that you bargain. <laughs> so, so they'd bargain with you, but only if you agreed with everything they said? That seemed to be the gist of it, yeah. So, <laughs> okay, great. Uh, now, <laughs> I've done a couple of hundred enterprise agreements, and that's not the way that you go about things. So so they they have made no attempt to bargain with us. And as their first port of call, they are seeking to terminate the agreement. So, so the concern that our members have, um, not just across the social and community services sector, but I think that every worker covered by an agreement um, would have, be if an employer who has workers who are paid at the award rates, where the only conditions, where, where the only conditions that they had within the agreement were those um, few conditions like parental leave and things of, of that nature, uh, if an employer can uh, is is allowed to terminate an agreement because it's expired because they effectively want to race to the bottom because of a change in um, the way that their sector is funded, then it pretty much could spell the end of bargaining in this in this country in some ways. If if agreements are vulnerable in this way, and we're seeing bosses increasingly use this tactic, weaponise the termination of agreements mm-hmm. to. As, as a stick to force workers to accept lower conditions or, or lesser pay rises or pay freezes. Conditions that have been fought for and won over decades of struggle can just be wiped away overnight and then workers are forced to start again in, in some ways. Is that is that your understanding? So that would be the problem is that you'd go from the conditions that you've won over time through a number of different bargaining rounds to losing them all and going onto the um, the minimum legal conditions and then have to bargain back up from there. So you'd, you'd be constantly caught in this sort of boom-bust cycle where you bargain, go to the bottom, bargain again, go to the bottom. So that would be the consequence, I would imagine, would be the, the logical flow from there, that even if you were able to get a majority support determination, you'd have to have the same fights that you've had time and time again. Turning back to the termination, uh, how many workers at Mentis does it affect and what are the next steps in the union's campaign? So uh, it's about um, 30, 40, 50 um, um, members. There's, um, there's uh, well, workers, sorry, within that, um, within that employer. Um, the employer has made an application to the commission to terminate the agreement. Um, we are due um, to have a conference in the next couple of weeks, we believe. Um, we're still waiting for final instructions on that. Uh, so I think the, it, it's likely there'll be an initial conference and failing any sort of resolution out of that, um, there'll be a hearing to, uh, where the employer will then seek to terminate the agreement. We, we, have, we um, give a commitment to the employer that we've given to them in writing and verbally on a number of occasions. We just want to sit down and bargain with our members for a new enterprise agreement. That's all we want to do. Um, and we're pretty willing and able to do that at any time that they are. So um, this is not our application. This is their application. Um, but we will absolutely fight this. And short of short of taking some form of industrial action, 
your legal avenues are relatively limited here, aren't they, other than fighting the fighting the boss's application to terminate? Well, one of the many structural problems in the Fair Work Act, and the Fair Work Act is increasingly um, an absolute joke of, a, of an act, is that we're not actually in a protective bargaining period at the moment, so our members can't take legal industrial action. So an employer can seek to remove all of the conditions that are above the bare legal minimum from our members, and there's nothing that they can do legally, industrially about it, nothing. This act is broken and it needs to be thrown out and we need to get a new one put in there. And this is just one of the many examples of that. So, yeah, I mean, workers in this in this case are um, fighting with both hands tied behind their back. And yet again, we've shown that, or we've seen that the Fair Work Act is a is a an act that um, has um, structural problems built within it. But I think also the way that it's been interpreted by the Fair Work Commission has been massively to the benefit of the employers. Um, and uh, again, increasingly, we just need to get rid of it and put a new one in there. Leon, thanks very much for joining us on Stick Together. Good on you, thanks. You're listening to Stick Together on the Community Radio Network. That was ASU Branch Coordinator Leon Weirgard discussing yet another example of how the laws designed to protect workers are being perverted by aggressive employers. We turn now to Brisbane, where a heated industrial battle is raging at the Brisbane City Council. Earlier this year, we reported on the Brisbane City Council locking out its electricians as part of a protracted industrial campaign. Members of several other unions have also taken industrial action as they bring pressure to bear on Lord Mayor Graham Quirk. The past two weeks have seen an escalating series of strikes and other industrial action by bus drivers. Joining us now by phone is the Rail, Tram and Bus Union's Queensland Assistant State Secretary, Tom Brown, to tell us more. Thanks for joining us, Tom. Thank you. Can you give us a bit of a background on your particular dispute with the council? It goes back eight, nine months there to October last year. Obviously, we had a driver murdered there on the job, uh, just right at the beginning of bargaining. And our members then demanded that uh, bus driver safety be our number one agenda item, and uh, and rightly so. And uh, we've been bargaining in good faith ever since then, and it's been slow progress. We saw the senseless murder of Manmeet Sharma last October, and you've just alluded to it in your opening there, but what type of safety measures are the bus drivers looking for? Well, well, in the interim, we're looking for more uh, more security guards on, on, on the network, either on the buses uh, themselves uh, at major interchanges or mobile units uh, following, the, uh, following the routes. Security guards in themselves are not exactly the end game, but but they're, they're a beginning. Uh, where, we've, where we've got security guards, they certainly work. We're also looking at upping the uh, driver training so that they're, they're better equipped for this. And not just the driver training, they're, they're training on the other end of the radio. Uh, the radio is another problem for us. Uh, we believe the system has to be improved. But the person on the other end taking a, a call of uh, a driver under duress needs to be better trained on how to, how to react. And what what other claims of the workers, or what other claims have the bus drivers got for the Brisbane City Council in this round of enterprise negotiations? Well, well, the uh, the next one that we had was uh, input into the rosters, you know, to be uh, able to be consulted on our rosters, which uh, in, in the view of our members are, have gone from bad to worse over the last three or four years. We want rosters that combat fatigue rather than rosters that actually cause fatigue. So, that, so that's another big one for us. And the obvious one is that we want a pay rise. Uh, the, 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 the pay level for our drivers is not that great. It's not as great as the Brisbane City Council is trying to make out. Drivers start at less, less than 
$23 an hour, and then the max is out at $27 an hour. But their driver has to wait nine years to get to that top level. So one of our claims, of course, is to reduce that number of years. How, how has the council responded? Council has responded uh, hostily. It's taken us uh, to this time. It's taken us to the point of industrial action. In fact, it's taken us into industrial action before they even begin to become even partially reasonable. So there's been around a couple of rounds of strike action. Um, can you tell us what, what action's been taken to date? About three weeks ago, we started off with uh, a two-hour stoppage. Uh, that ran in the, in the early morning between 4.30 and uh, 6.30 for uh, the fact that all the buses would be in the depots at that time and it was easier for, our, uh, it was easier for them to be kept there. So it was also kept us out of the peak and it, it got our message across because it seemed to be front page news and uh, that, was, that was a starting action for us. We then moved to, uh, because there was no response to that, we moved to uh, a four-hour stoppage, uh, uh, 2 p.m. to uh, 6 p.m. That was last Friday. That, was, uh, that caused a bit of a stir, but uh, it certainly got council's attention. Uh, in between times, we were looking at things like uh, No Fares Day, which we're running today, and uh, No Uniforms Day, which our, dri- our drivers are taking to. You know, they're, they're dressing up in their, in, in their own clothes and in their union gear to come to work. And uh, yesterday, oh no, it's not yesterday, it was uh, Wednesday here, there was a, a four-hour stoppage in which uh, several uh, council unions were involved in, and that culminated in a mass rally at uh, just outside City Hall there at King George Square, uh, with uh, hundreds of uh, hundreds of council unionists, hundreds of council workers uh, rallying and, and demanding a fair deal. Do you think that the strike action and the other industrial actions are having an impact? Certainly, council seem to be a bit more, uh, they're listening to us a bit more. We're certainly talking again. We weren't talking three weeks ago. Uh, we, we were told that negotiations were over, certainly with regard to their uh, bus driver issues. And uh, now all of a sudden we're told that their negotiations are not over. There was a bit of a media kerfuffle about um, school buses, isn't there? Because the city council runs a lot of obviously very important buses for school kids to get home. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened there? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, the council uh, does run the school buses. Uh, over 200 school bus services. We had enough volunteer members of uh, the RTVU to put their hands up to uh, to cover the school runs and then join the action. And we made that offer to council. What has the council's response to your action been? Well, they, they haven't locked us out as yet, but they're certainly working overtime to to try and undermine the action. They're, uh, they've got a fake news bureau uh, constantly churning out misinformation. Uh, when we were there at, uh, at 4 o'clock for the 4.30 stoppages, I think every manager in the council was uh, designated to a particular depot, and I don't think too many of them had been up at that time in the morning <laughs> for, for many a year. But our members report constant intimidation and, and constant harassment and they're trying to persuade our members to uh, not take part in the action. So the screws are coming from the from the bosses. How are the members holding up? The members are holding up magnificently. Today has been a great response to, to the No Fairs Day. It's, it's going gangbusters. The Brisbane City Council's been... S- stuck in a real industrial battle, not just with the bus drivers, but we saw them lock out their um, electricians earlier. We, uh, the AMWU members have been taking industrial action. 
I understand that the TWU joined in industrial action on Wednesday. What's going on up there, Tom? Well, well, what's going on is that uh, the the offers that have been made to to the unions across the board are inadequate. But more than that, probably the way that they've been treated uh, during the negotiations, they've been treated with contempt. You mentioned a rally last Wednesday in King George Square, which for those listeners that aren't familiar with Brisbane is the big square out the front of the Brisbane Town Hall. There were heaps of different unions there. Is there a good sense of solidarity across the movement up in Queensland? A great sense of solidarity, and I think I think Wednesday's action added to that and, and bound a lot of unions together, as, a, as I've never known it before. In fact, the action itself was, in, in my memory, unprecedented there as far as uh, dealing with Brisbane City Council was concerned. So what's next? What can people out there do to, to help the, the bus drivers and the other workers that, um, that work at Brisbane City Council? Yeah, well, well, public support has been fantastic, and I'll probably get a chance now to say that there's a megaphone uh, petition out there. Uh, I think it's to call on the Lord Mayor to stop treating his employees with contempt or stop smearing his employees and start negotiating with them. Uh, so that's that's on megaphone, and so people can get get to it easily and and, and sign it, and that supports us. Uh, people out there, of course, can write directly to the Lord Mayor of Brisbane because uh, this is his city. He is in charge. He's the decision maker, and uh, he's the hold up in the negotiations. So these negotiations could have been and should have been uh, done and dusted weeks ago. One, I guess, one last question, which is about. Um the, the mayor up there is he's not a great friend to the worker. Um, is it time for the mayor to step in or is the mayor the problem? Step in or step down. Yeah. One of the two, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think we might leave it there, Tom. Thanks very much for your time and all power to the bus drivers and to the other workers up in, up in Brisbane and our solidarity from down here in Victoria. The megaphone petition Tom mentioned can be found at www.megaphone.org.au and just search for Lord Mayor. That brings us to the end of another week's show. Thanks to Leon and Tom for speaking with us this week. Stick Together is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. Wherever you're listening around the country, your local station relies on listeners like you to stay on the air. So log in or call today to subscribe or donate. Maybe you've got a union story you'd like to hear on the show. Or we always love to hear your feedback about how we're going. You can contact us by either calling 03... 94198377 or shooting us an email at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search for Stick Together Program. The podcast of this show and other recent episodes can be found at www.3cr.org.au forward slash stick together or you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Tune in next week for more union news and workers' stories. But finally, remember... No matter where you are or what you do, there is a union for you. I've been Matt Conkle. Until next time, stick together.